This morning's reading is taken from the second book of Corinthians, chapter 8, and beginning to read at verse 1. Second Corinthians, chapter 8, verse 1. Generosity encouraged. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us, in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had early made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through you his poverty might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, be God. to God. As we stand, let's pray. Lord Jesus, though you were rich, yet for our sakes you became poor, so that through your poverty we might become unimaginably wealthy. Please would you teach us today more of the grace of giving that you've shown us in the cradle and in the cross. And you've called us to practice. We've sung, take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Lord, take the words we've sung and write them on our hearts, we pray. For Jesus' sake. Amen. I'll do please be seated. And uh, as I say, apologies, you've got me again uh, this morning. Uh, We are continuing, though, in 2 Corinthians. Uh, We're in chapter 8. It would be helpful if you had that open as we look at it uh, together. Uh, While you're finding that, uh, I was reflecting in uh, preparing for this sermon that uh, for over a year after the pandemic stopped us meeting together back in March 2020, uh, there was a neatly stacked pile of my giving letters on the table in the end of the church extension. 
In the old world, pre-COVID, every year since I'd become vicar, and I was just continuing a much longer trend, I would write to you all every year, encouraging you to consider your giving and outlining some of the major impacts on our budget as we sought uh, with the Lord's help, as we do constantly to maintain our current ministry and to grow new mission for Christ's sake. And when I came to the unusually quiet building during those months, the pile of letters Uh, I kept checking to see whether anybody had moved them away, and they hadn't. Uh, It came to symbolize to me something of the lost predictability of the old order. Uh, An annual letter, a gift day, the plea to give generously to church. All of that faded away. Now, perhaps I shouldn't tell you this bit, uh, but do you know that during the season when we haven't explicitly preached on given, I haven't had our budget presentations annually. I haven't written my yearly letter. We haven't until relatively recently even have a giving plate out at any services because, of course, the risk of contamination. And, of course, during the season, when many of us have known the most disruptive period of our personal or professional lives, during all that season over the last couple of years, our collective giving to our church has actually gently increased. Isn't that extraordinary? Isn't God good? Now, before you rush to the conclusion, well, that's great. Let's do away with sermons and letters and collection plates and any mention of money in church. Let me assure you that that is not the conclusion uh, that I have drawn, not least because, of course, Jesus and his apostles teach us so often and so uh, powerfully about our relationship to money as a barometer of our relationship uh, to the Lord and our need, in course, to be encouraged to give generously. But when we reflect on that, how faithful God has been. And now also during these last two years, and especially as we begin to plan for the future, uh, the Lord is presenting us as a church with some wonderful and challenging opportunities to uh, follow his lead and continuing to grow our local mission. If we're to do that, we will need collectively to increase what we give to the Lord's work here, and significantly so uh, over this and subsequent years. I think if I could uh, go back in time to January 2020, I'd want to say to myself and to all of us, uh, you're about to see how trustworthy the Lord is in ways you've never expected or experienced Uh, But equally, we need to be ready for his call to seize new opportunities that will require a new generosity and obedience, uh, which in turn will mean discovering how much more faithful the Lord is than we've never known before. And so the spiral continues upwards, not downwards. Take one obvious example. Uh, Who would have predicted uh, two years ago in January 2020 Uh, that two years later, the church center would be packed with a great celebration of Chinese New Year, as it was yesterday, and not an English voice to be heard throughout the throng that had gathered. Or more wonderfully, that we would hear moving testimonies, as we did a couple of weeks ago from new Hong Kong believers, or that we would have the opportunity in Lewis to take on a full-time Cantonese-speaking minister to evangelize, disciple, and serve our new friends in Christ's name. That's just one example, and I could give you others. Hasn't God been doing an amazing work? Yes, he has, and aren't we now called to ensure that this work can continue and flourish on a sound financial basis? Yes, we are. 
we often uh, rightly use the New Testament word fellowship to describe the uh, joy we have in our common life together as Christians. Uh, But in the scriptures, the underlying Greek word koinonia very often describes a specifically financial fellowship, uh, a sharing of material resources amongst God's people that we might better show mercy and grow ministry and extend the kingdom of God. Indeed, if you have got now 2 Corinthians 8 open, I hope you have. Uh, Although it isn't obvious in English, this is the word that Paul uses in verse 4 that our translation renders sharing. Underneath that is this word koinonia that we often translate as fellowship. But this fellowship Paul is talking about here is a financial fellowship. In the common course of extending Christ's kingdom, we are called to generous giving. So over the next three uh, weeks, we will be taking advantage of having arrived at uh, this part of Paul's letter where he speaks at length about Christian giving. Uh, In the next two weeks, Barry uh, will be presenting the financial picture of the parish in our morning services, and we will follow that uh, with a gift day and strong encouragement for all of us to carefully consider our giving in the light of these realities that we've been discovering through COVID. God's extraordinary faithfulness and the wonderful opportunities, new and old, to grow his kingdom right here. Now, of course, as we begin to delve into the passage this morning, uh, the situation Paul is addressing is unique to his day and time, just as the financial situation we are facing as a church is unique to our time and place. And yet, as we shall discover here, uh, there are abiding principles in God's word uh, through which Paul exhorted the Corinthians and through which the Holy Spirit continues to exhort us to excel in this grace of giving. The reality is that just like the Corinthian Christians, we don't always find it easy to hear such an exhortation. Perhaps this and the next two sermons will not make it onto your favorite sermons of 2022 uh, playback list. Well, so be it. It's here in God's word for a reason. And the more we resist God's word well, then more the Holy Spirit has to work in us that we might hear and heed what he has to say to us. And if we want to grow, if we want to know real fellowship together, if we want to grow personally in the grace of God, if we want to see God's kingdom grow in disciples and depth and devotion, then we need to hear and act and act on what God is saying to us through his word as he exhorts us to give generously to take them from the words of the song silver and gold and to actually make that an appointment with our online banking to do something about it so what does the holy spirit say to us about generous giving in these verses Uh, well just to give us some sense of uh, moving through the passage three uh, uh, broad headings give gracefully give willingly And finally, where Paul ends, just give, stop talking and start doing, uh, would be a summary of the closing verses of our passage this morning. First then, give gracefully, verses 1 to 5, particularly looking here. Uh, Don't worry too much about geography. Uh, I failed geography in uh, year four at uh, school. I was never allowed to take it beyond that. And I've always been perplexed by maps showing missionary journeys and so on. Uh, If that's you, don't worry about it too much. If it's not you, dig out your Bible atlas and enjoy seeing where all these people are afterwards. Uh, But essentially, the Macedonians were the poor and persecuted believers in the north. uh, And the Corinthians were the wealthy and comfortable believers in the south. 
Uh, and don't be confused by English geography, which inverts that. Uh, for the purposes of the apostle, we in Hartford are the southerners, uh, the Corinthians. Of course, they're the ones uh, to whom God, through Paul, is addressing this word, this exhortation to generous giving. And so Paul opens the chapter by telling the southerners how their northern counterparts were doing with their giving. And it makes very uncomfortable reading for the southerners. These northern Christians were poor and persecuted. We pick that up in verse 2. And yet they were giving generously and consistently. By contrast, Paul says, you southerners, relatively wealthy, free to practice the faith though you are, your giving has lagged behind. You've made an eager beginning. You see that in verse 11. But you've grown weary, he says to the Corinthian Christians, selfish and ill-disciplined in your attitude to these things. Now, we need to ask for God's help to know whether we need to hear that word of rebuke ourselves. Doubtless, there will be some who do and others for whom this is not a principal area of current disobedience. But let the word of God do its work in you. This is not a sermon you're going to be able uh, to hear properly by just coming to the end of it. It will take some time this week on your knees and with your account books open to work out if you are hearing the word of God rightly in these matters. Now, Paul, Paul, though he uh, brings a word of rebuke, is nevertheless gentle. Uh, So why does he begin by saying, I want you to know how generous these churches up north have been compared to you lot? He wants, uh, he begins like that because he wants the church in Corinth and the church in Hartford to learn by imitation, to learn by example. He doesn't want to tell us off. He wants to show us what great Christian giving looks like that we may learn to imitate and do as these Macedonians uh, were doing so long ago. And what is it that Paul draws attention to in these generous Macedonian Christians? Uh, The key is the word grace. Grace, grace, grace. Get grace right in your heart and the giving will work itself out uh, uh, automatically. Uh, Paul doesn't mention numbers. In fact, he never mentions numbers at all, ever, uh, because the comparison he wants to make is between attitudes and not amounts. It's what's going on in here that really matters, uh, not the actual practical outworking of that which will, of course, vary in every situation, every church, as well as every church member. So he doesn't say, we want you to know how much cash the Macedonian churches have raised. It was this many denarii. Surely you could do that, like those um, uh, thermometers that you see outside uh, some churches. This amount, and we need that part. Paul doesn't go for the numbers. He doesn't even say, we want you to know what proportion of their income the Macedonian churches have raised as though their percentage could be our goal uh, if we set ourselves to that as well. Look at what he actually says. We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Fix your eyes there on the grace of God, and then things will begin to work out in the way they should in God's economy. The grace that lies at the center of the gospel in bringing salvation freely through Jesus Christ, that same grace of God lies at the center of truly Christian giving. 
And the word grace peppers these uh, two chapters, chapters 8 and 9, where Paul uh, has this focus on the exhorting of generous giving. We've seen it in verse 1. In verse 4, Paul literally says, they urgently pleaded with us for the grace of fellowshipping in this service to the saints. See again, grace and fellowship tied together and issuing in this fruit of service, practical Christian giving uh, that deepens discipleship and devotion uh, and uh, the uh, whole life of the church. In verse 6, Paul describes uh, the Corinthians' own giving as an act of grace. Uh, Again, think of what he could have said. He could have said, we urge Titus to bring to completion the collection of money from you. But he doesn't, although that's exactly what he means uh, when he says to bring to completion this act of grace. And so Paul says to us, to the Corinthians, to us through uh, this letter, it's all to do with where we stand in relation to the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Now that, of course, has a rather negative implication. If we're not giving generously, well, Paul's question is to us, do you really understand what the grace of God is at all? Because this is one of the signs that you do, that you will give generously. If you do not give generously, well, then perhaps you don't realize how generously to whom you have been given forgiveness in Jesus. And if we are giving generously, well, then we don't pat ourselves on the back. It doesn't then become a matter of pride, but rather we praise God. Because if we're giving generously, what's happening? His grace is at work. And so either way, he gets the glory and we receive the call to continue to trust his faithful provision, transforming and renewing our instinctively and repeatedly selfish hearts. Look at verse 2. Here, I think the grace of God is just shown in its extraordinary colors. Uh, Without the grace of God, it would say something like this. uh, Through a period of great blessing, their overflowing joy and their extreme wealth welled up in rich generosity. That would be human nature, wouldn't it? That's the attitude that lies behind worldly generosity, which is, of course, never very generous. Uh, We've got plenty. Things are good. We won't miss it. So let's give away a few pennies uh, to those who have less than we do. But graceful giving is entirely different. And indeed, it's incomprehensible to the world. Out of the most severe trial, Paul says, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now that seems bizarre, doesn't it? Out of poverty they gave generously, under affliction that they eagerly sought an opportunity not to look after themselves but to bless uh, their neighbors elsewhere. And it is bizarre and yet it's also repeated again and again. Let me give you uh, one illustration from our own national church. Uh, do you know, we live, of course, in, in uh, Cheshire, in one of the wealthiest parts of England. But you know, the Diocese of Chester is uh, among the lowest in terms of the actual amount of money given per worshipper in the Church of England churches across it. And the dioceses uh, where there is the greatest income per worshipper are those of the inner cities and the social deprivation and those that in worldly terms are the poor parts of our nation. We look at this and we say, uh, Paul, this just seems incomprehensible. Look at the national accounts of the Church of England and you will see it working in practice. Oh, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, as Jesus says. 
Or what does such generosity look like? For we certainly need to hear what Paul says to us in these verses. Well, verse 3 tells us uh, that it was both proportionate and sacrificial. Uh, A better translation might be this. uh, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will. That seems a contradiction, but it isn't. Paul says in several places, verse 12, in this passage, 1 Corinthians 16, uh, that a Christian's giving is to be a proportion of our own income. A portion of what we actually have uh, is then given away. And yet that proportion, if fueled by grace, is not to be comfortable, but sacrificial. And again, we ask, what does that actually uh, look like? I love the quote from C.S. Lewis when he was asked this question, how much a Christian should give. And his answer was, well, I can't give you an exact answer, but whatever it is, it should hurt you a little. There should be something you cannot do that you want to do because you have been generous in your giving to the work of God. Let me illustrate it further by uh, way of two thumbnail sketches. As the movies say, uh, any resemblance to real people is entirely coincidental. Uh, I shall stare at the pulpit uh, while I'm uh, describing uh, these two characters so that no one may think uh, that I am looking at you. Uh, But picture two church members considering uh, their giving. Uh, They both know, because they remember the vicar said something about this uh, a couple of years ago, that if one were looking for a number to start thinking about giving Uh, as a new Christian or in reviewing what we're doing, then a good place to start is the Old Testament law of the tithe or tenth. And think of that as a baseline and then uh, seek to give generously beyond uh, that. And roughly speaking, if you earn an average wage, then a tithe uh, would be something around 50 pounds a week. So with that background, consider two uh, uh, fictional church members. Here is where I look at the pulpit. Uh, Consider Michelle's response first. Uh, She's in a rewarding but poorly paid job. She's a single mum, kids at home, wider family responsibilities too. Just covering the basics means there's nothing left at the end of the month. And yet with some careful planning and forsaking a few small luxuries, she makes sure that her gift to God's work of £20 a week comes out before anything else. She would love to give more. She carves out as much time as she can to serve in various ministries. She loves her church. She's sure there are people who give so much more financially, and she feels a little inadequate. That's one person. Now consider Marcus. Uh, I don't think we have any Marcuses in the congregation, so uh, I did choose the names carefully. He's in a stellar job. Marcus is handsomely paid, and he's sacrificed an awful lot to get there. And beyond Sunday mornings, he just doesn't have time for church activities. That career swamps him entirely. And to be honest, when he comes to review uh, his financial uh, circumstances, once the private school fees are paid, and the booper bills, and the mortgage on the new and bigger house, plus the holiday home, and the golf club membership, and the new car, of course, well, there just isn't much left. He hears the vicar saying a tithe is a good baseline to start thinking about giving, so he takes a zero off his salary and blinks. Baseline? He's not giving that. Maybe 20 pounds a week will do it. I mean, it's a recognizable number. He's sure the treasurer will be pleased. I can look at you again now because I've told the two stories. It's not that any of those choices that Marcus made were wrong ones. We live in one of the most privileged parts of one of the most privileged countries in the world. All of us, even the poorest, 
uh, has choices we can make with our disposable income uh, that some of those who go to our linked school uh, in the poverty-stricken region of southwest Uganda could ever dream about. All of us have disposable income and choices we can make for luxuries in our lives. And just because some have more, not a reason to, to think in a condemnatory way uh, within our own congregation. So don't mishear me. I'm not saying that any of those choices were wrong, but I ask you to judge for yourselves which one of those two is moved more by the grace of God. And as we consider the answer to that question, they both gave the same amount, after all, in actual numeric terms. I think we can see, can't we, that there was something very different going on beneath the surface. The one who sacrificed and put the Lord first and then gave as generously as she could the other who sought to give just a little of what was left. All I can ask is that you join me in looking at your own heart and plead with the Lord to teach us sacrificial generosity, that we may know something of the joy of these Macedonian Christians. Let verse 4 sink in. Uh, these Macedonians didn't grumble when Paul preached on giving to them. Uh, they wouldn't even let him finish, Paul says, before they were emptying their wallets entirely on their own. No pressure, no guilt trips. They urgently pleaded with us for this privilege of sharing, this grace of fellowshipping in this service to the saints. Verse 5, they further surprised Paul. Uh, they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. Again, for the sake of newer church members, and because we haven't talked about this for a long time, uh, please never, ever tell me what you give to the church. That's between you, the Lord, and the treasurer. Uh, no one else needs to know. Uh, and uh, if you try and tell me, I will stop you before you even get there. You see, what matters is not what Paul thinks or what any of us think of each other. No, all that matters is that we give ourselves first to the Lord and ask for him to be the one who, by his grace, directs the way uh, we use those resources that he's given to us. And having put the, the Lord Jesus and his grace at the center of their lives, well, look at the Macedonians, Paul says, and see the rich generosity that then is unleashed to flow out from it. And when a church struggles to balance its budget or pay off its building project, the first question is not how do we raise more money, but how do we better know the grace of the Lord Jesus as the controlling truth in my heart and in our common life? Get that right and the other will sort itself. Give gracefully. Second, give willingly. We won't be so long on these second uh, two points uh, verses 6 and following, though, looking at now particularly. Throughout these verses, Paul doesn't use his apostolic authority. He urges Titus, verse 6, uh, to bring this gift to completion. He exhorts them, verse 7, just as you excel in everything, maybe a little bit tongue-in-cheek because the Corinthians uh, considered themselves to have every spiritual gift and yet struggled here with a fairly basic element of Christian discipleship. Uh, just as you excel in everything, here's the test, see that you also excel in this grace of giving and explicitly verse 8 I'm not commanding you Paul could have commanded them he was an apostle of Christ but he didn't he said no rather I'm testing you and because you can't command grace but you certainly can test for it 
Anybody who is filled with the grace of God is going to give, doesn't need a command. And so instead, he says, I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Brothers and sisters, we are to give willingly because the grace of God gives us the desire to do so. Not because you've heard a sermon on giving, not because there'll be a marvelous budget presentation from Barry over the next couple of weeks, and not because we've got a budget to balance, but because the grace of God will be at work in your heart. And I have to say, I know from long experience uh, that graceless giving never balances the books anyway. Paul urges generosity, he exhorts us to imitate generous Christians, but he doesn't compel it. No human can compel another to give in a grace-filled way. It must come from willing hearts. And how will our hearts be made willing? Well, verse 9 takes us to the supreme example of willing, sacrificial generosity. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Paul says, just look at who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Look at the Son of God who came to be born in a stable. He had the glories of heaven, the adoration of countless angels. And he chose to come and be born as a man and to lie in the filth of an animal's feeding trough. More than that, he did not consider Equality with God, something to be grasped, as Paul wrote uh, to one of these Macedonian churches in Philippi, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, uh, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Look at the one who is at the heart of our faith, the object of our faith. And now try and justify not being sacrificially generous when your whole soul and eternity depends on the self-giving, sacrificial giving of Jesus, the Son of God. Now behold, uh, Jesus and his incarnation and his death, Paul says, see what he gave up in order that you might be blessed with spiritual riches beyond your wildest imagination and let that be the matrix through which you then approach your choices over how you spend those resources that you have at your own disposal oh you corinthians says paul here is the grace of god in the poor macedonians giving generously here is grace incarnate grace on the cross well you never learn what grace really means he says to them and to us. Now, perhaps I should say at this point, if you're not a Christian here uh, this morning, or you've stumbled across us uh, online, uh, can I please just cheerfully encourage you not to give any money? Uh, it, it won't do you any good in terms of your soul. Uh, if your heart has not been renewed by the grace of God, it won't be very much. Uh, so don't give. Christian giving is for Christian people. Gracious giving is for those who know the grace of God. So one of the first things I did when I became vicar of this church is abolish the practice of passing a plate up and down the rows, visitor and church member alike, with a slightly awkward feeling, I really ought to put something in because everyone's looking at me. No worse way to get to base motives in the human heart, or indeed a very small amount of money for the budget. Uh, So it's disastrous, both spiritually and practically. Why does any church continue to do it? I have no idea. It's only when we're Christians that we can give in a Christian way. And the grace of God has been at work in us 
well, then we can respond according to its dimensions and its motivation. We can give willingly just as a response to the God who has loved us. And then finally, uh, just give, verses 10 and following. Having exhorted them to learn from grace, Paul now turns to some practical advice. And it boils down essentially to stop talking and start doing Another one of the uh, slightly discouraging metrics uh, that I've discovered over 20 years here uh, is that over all those years I wrote you a letter every year uh, and exhorted you to please respond and uh, even if you're only going to carry on giving at your current level or even if circumstances had changed uh, and you had to give less and that happens uh, as our circumstances change in our lives that the one guaranteed number is that every year, year upon year for nearly 20 years half of you would completely ignore me and never return the form that said, this is what I pledge to give next year, even if it's the same as last year. Half the congregation every year completely ignored that exhortation. I don't say that to condemn you, but just as a simple statement of the facts. Uh, So when Paul comes and says, stop talking and start doing, uh, there's at least half of us that need to hear what he says. You see, in Corinth, the year before, verse 10, uh, they had expressed their desire to give. Indeed, verse 11, uh, they had communicated to Paul their eager willingness. They looked him in the eye and said, Paul, you can count on the church in Corinth. We will get the gift to you. Trust us. Well, they said that, but they didn't do it. And so the advice is plain and it's graciously expressed. Now finish the work, quote unquote, Paul says, Thank you for making such a wonderful pledge. Uh, Now, actually, would you mind stumping up? Because words don't actually, in the end, count. And uh, behind what Paul says in these verses, uh, we can hear uh, a number of excuses. Paul, we don't seem to have quite as much as we'd hoped when we, we made that pledge. Well, verse 12, don't worry about that. Stop talking, start giving. If the willingness is there, well, then the gift is acceptable according to what you have. Not what you don't have. You don't have as much as you'd hoped. Well, give a proportion of what you do have. Uh, Don't use that as an excuse to give nothing because you can't give as much as you want. I've heard the seasonal excuses uh, over many years in ministry. I'll start giving when I leave home. I'll start giving when I've graduated. I'll start giving when I get a promotion because then I'll be able to afford it. I'll start giving when the wedding is paid for. I'll start giving when the deposit is paid on the house. Start giving seriously when the kids have left home. Have you any idea how expensive teenagers are? I do. Uh, I'll start giving when the grandchildren have grown up because now they seem to need a whole lot of help these days as well. Uh, And suddenly there's no lifetime left. You see, the excuses are there in every season of our lives. Paul, we're really struggling financially. Are you really sure these Jerusalem Christians need it as much as we do? Well, on this we close, verse 13. Our desire is not that the others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that it might be equality. In time, verse 14, you may come to rely on the generosity of others. Together we trust in the sovereign God of grace who oversees and provides, given his name, and trust that he will make all the numbers add up. We could make our own excuses so easily, can't we? Paul's advice to us would be similar. Don't dream about giving a fortune. Just give what you can now. 
Don't be afraid that you might be impoverishing yourself for no benefit. The sovereign Lord who gave the manna from heaven will provide for you too. Even as I started, uh, we can look back over the last two years and say, the Lord knew the pandemic was coming. And somehow, invisibly, and contrary to all the patterns we'd established over the decades, he graciously provided for our common life and new opportunities without any of those usual means. The God of the manna, the God of the incarnation and of the cross, the God of grace who provides for his people, tells us, seek me and my kingdom, and all these things will be added to you as well. Give gracefully, give willingly, just give. Let's pray. Gracious Father, some of us may have found that an uncomfortable sermon to hear. I certainly found it an uncomfortable one to preach. But we thank you that your word uh, does not leave aside the awkward areas of our lives. It rather challenges us to discover your grace and to live in its light. Father, you provided manna for your children in the wilderness. You've provided for us in these last two extraordinary and painful years of the pandemic. Please would you so lift our eyes to your son, the Lord Jesus, uh, in whom is the grace of God and is our salvation, that we may be led by your Holy Spirit to excel in this grace of giving, quietly, on our own, before you, making those decisions that are in accordance with grace and that demonstrate faith. We ask this, therefore, Lord, that you would extend the work of your kingdom in this place and that you would glorify your own name amongst us. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.